We serve a, uh, an almighty, almighty, praiseworthy God. We do. And uh, I, I love the songs that were sung tonight. Uh, I love, I love the opportunity to worship with my family. I love each and every one of you. I'm, I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to worship together, to praise our glorious almighty God together, to remember his son, and to study from his and I'd like to say welcome, Dean. If you would, turn, uh, turn with me to the book of Obadiah. Book of Obadiah. <coughs> it is uh, right after the book of Amos, but you'll have to find that as well. So, turn to the book of Obadiah. Not a book that gets uh, talked about very often. Uh, some of the, you know, some of the, the books of the minor prophets are are overlooked, uh, but but so so very important. And the the book of Obadiah is a prophecy concerning uh, concerning the people of Edom. And like most of the prophecies concerning uh, the nations around Israel, is not a uh, it's not a it's not a pretty prophecy. It's a very, uh, very scary book. Very scary book. Um, and, you know, with, with all the holidays going on, it's kind of been a hard book to, to read and study on. It's not, it's not a happy message. Um, so as I go through it, forgive me if I don't, if I don't keep the smile the whole way through, but I, I do promise that by the time we finish the evening, I will have a smile back on my... So we're going to be in the book of Obadiah. Concerning the people of, of Edom. Now, I guess before we before we dive too too far into uh, before we dive into the book, I, I would actually like you to put a marker there and turn back to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis. We're going to kind of go begin at who Edom is. Who who is this nation that we're even talking about? We're going to be in Genesis chapter twenty-five. Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to start with the story of two brothers. Their names are Jacob and Esau. Starting in verse 21, Genesis chapter 25. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. We have two children, twins, that are together in the womb, and even uh, up until this point, they're not out of the womb yet, and yet they are uh, struggling, fighting, butting heads. And God's, God, Rebecca asks, why is this? Which is just an interesting thing to think about. Um, I'm, I'm sure it is for, uh, for you moms. Just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I doubt that she knew that she had twins at this point. I'm sure that she was very much wondering what, what was happening inside of her. But God's, when she asks what is going on, God says there are two nations. And the important, a really important statement here is that the older shall serve younger. So, children are born, 
Esau is born first, and Jacob is born afterwards holding on to his heel. And he is named Jacob, which means he who holds on to someone's heel or supplanter. So we move on a little bit forward into the story of these two brothers, and we encounter a story where Esau, Esau being the firstborn, has the birthright. And he's gone hunting one day. He's the lover of, of the hunt. And coming back, he, coming back to, to uh, where they were living, he, by his own words, was on the, the brink of starvation. He was a dying of hunger. And then the text says that Jacob at that time was, was making some food. And so Esau asked him for the food. And Jacob says, sure, I'll give you some food, but you must sell me your birthright. And Esau despised his birthright and did sell it to fill his belly. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews the 12th chapter, uh, talks about this and, and, and even says that Esau was an ungodly man. Indicates that there is uh, a lot more than we realize that happened here. And it goes on to talk about a blessing that Esau sought was not, was not given, even though he sought repentance with tears because of selling his birthright. And, we'll, and that takes us kind of into the next chapter. One day, uh, when Isaac, Jacob and Esau's father, very old, he seeks to bless his son Esau. Esau is his favorite. He asks Esau to make him a, uh, a meal. And while Esau is gone, Jacob dresses like Esau. Esau was a hairy man. Jacob dressed himself in, in, in hair and made himself smell like Esau and deceives his father and receives the blessing, blessing that was supposed to be given to Esau. And that blessing was in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 27, verse 28, Genesis. Now may God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brother and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. Esau coming back um, found out about about Jacob receiving his blessing, and he still sought for a blessing. Uh, with only one blessing left to give, Isaac gives him this in verse 39. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless, that you will break the yoke from your neck. So Esau, at this point, is angry, as you can, as you can probably imagine, and even seeks, uh, he, he plans on killing Jacob. Jacob, in fear of his, in fear of his brother, goes away for a while, gets his wife, and on his way back home, comes, comes back home sometime later, uh, he meets Esau. And really one of the most beautiful stories of reconciliation that the Bible has to offer. He and, and Esau, uh, Esau is forgiving of him. And they embrace in tears 
and calling each other brother is a such a beautiful story and I, I would I would ask that you keep keep that in mind keep that picture in mind uh, before we go back to the book of Obadiah Jacob was was humble before Esau and Esau forgave there to hug him brother so after this Esau uh, moves to the south and his descendants become uh, the Edomites and from that point to the to the book of Obadiah, there's a lot of history, a lot of uh, a lot of clashing uh, between the two nations. They they end up clashing in later days. Kind of some some highlights. King David, when he was uh, when he was king, takes over Edom and, and puts garrisons inside of their cities. In Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel chapter eight, in First Kings uh, chapter eleven, when Solomon is turned away from God, God raises up a an enemy against them and, and and during in this chapter in first Kings chapter 11 we also find out that in the time that David had garrisons in Edom his commander Joab slayed almost all of the males of Edom took out almost all of them, and only one uh, royal heir Hadad and some Edomite males that were surrounding him survived they came back to Edom to become a thorn in the side of Solomon Kind of uh, lastly, uh, you know, the last big thing of Edom before we get to the book of Obadiah is Edom revolts against Judah's rule in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 20. Revolts against them and place a king over themselves. And the writer of Kings says uh, in that section that to his day, Edom has continued to revolt against Judah. So that's kind of the, the background of where we're at between the two countries. One last thing to just kind of know before we start into the book of Obadiah, if you want to start turning back there, is this is at the time where Jerusalem has just uh, been taken over by Babylon. There are, are in their last days, Jerusalem has just been ransacked. And then we begin in, in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from me, an understanding from the mountain of Esau. Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, so that everyone may cut off from the mount, may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Can you uh, imagine just in these first nine verses being an Edomite and hearing this message? Uh, 
That is powerful, scary, frightening. Uh, makes me really think about, about Obadiah's as how would it feel to declare to a people complete destruction? I mean, this is complete, complete annihilation. And in verse, in verse 1, you get this picture of rumblings on the horizon. There's an envoy that has been sent among the, among the nations. There is, there is something coming. In verse 2, the Lord, his word comes down like thunder. I will make you small among the nations. You are great spies. Verse 5, if thieves came to you, if, if, if gleaners came, they would leave something. It's, this picture is, is amazing, that, that men, even wicked men, would have some semblance of what we would consider, uh, consider mercy. They would leave some, some pieces for him to pick up, but the God, whose justice, whose judgment is perfect beyond compare, he's saying that nothing's going to be left. I'm going to take everything. In Jeremiah chapter 49, Jeremiah also had a prophecy concerning Edom that mirrors this almost perfectly. But Jeremiah says that, that Edom is going to be an object of horror. On, um, I guess on, on the list of objects I'd like to be called, horror is pretty, uh, pretty low on there. That's a, uh, that's a descriptor that will make you think. And he says, Jeremiah the prophet says that uh, Edom is going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's completely wiped off the map. Message is destruction. And really, you know, whenever you, whenever you first start reading these verses, whenever I started reading these verses, stop and say, well, uh, I, I want to avoid that completely. I never want to incur that kind of wrath against, uh, from God. So why? Why, is the, why this judgment against Esau? What has Esau, what has Edom done to incur this sort of wrath from our Lord God? Starting in verse 10. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you are as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. I'd like to emphasize the word brother. The word brother, verse 10. And kind of what we were talking about back in, back in the book of Genesis. There was a time where Jacob his own volition humbled himself in front of Esau and he received comfort, he received mercy. But what we have, verse 10 on, is a picture of an unmerciful brother. One who 
celebrate in the day of disaster, one who gloats uh, over their brother on the day that he's receiving his misfortune, one who, who steals what's left of, for him, one who cuts down uh, those who are left behind. Just on the face of it, just from a worldly perspective, this is a, it, it would be a very hard, hard message to read. Uh, of course, we would look at this, this people that have done all of these things and be so angry. Uh, but just the word brother, it, it makes me, it gives a whole new meaning to it for me. I know not everybody has uh, the greatest of families, not, not everybody has that closeness with their siblings, but I can't imagine a brother who's supposed to, family, who's supposed to be doing this. I, it, it made me think of a man who his possessions, his house, are all being repossessed. Uh, CPS has come to take his children, and he's going to jail. And his brother is standing there in the living room celebrating. Now, if, if that's happening to somebody, they must have done something really bad. And that is the case with Jerusalem. I mean, they turn against God. They... Uh, they worshipped idols. They turned completely against the Lord. And they were receiving their punishment. But it's God. It's God who gets it. It was not for the people of Edom to go and celebrate over their brother in their day of distress. But it's, it's easy to ask myself, uh, do I do that? Sin is a snare. It can take over any single one of them. We can all stumble, we can all fall. We need to be there to, to help each other. We need to be there to give each other strength. And I pray that that doesn't happen. I pray that we all strengthen each other now, that we overcome sin. That we, that we can remain spotless, that we can, that we can be free. And we are free, but we still make mistakes. I stumble. Uh, and I would ask that if I do, please don't boast over me. Please don't celebrate over me. Please don't take what I have left. Please don't cut off my feet. And I think that this... This shouldn't just extend to, to who we would consider our brethren. Uh, it, I don't know this for sure, but I'm not sure that Edom at this time would still consider Jerusalem, Judah, to be brothers. I, I don't think that Jerusalem would have considered Edom to be brothers. But when I read in verse 10, because of violence to your brother Jacob, I sure do get the impression that God sees it. Uh, and it really just makes you think. I pray, I honestly do, I pray that every soul inside this building, outside this building, every single one, will accept God's will. I, I really do, truly hope that. They won't always, not all of them will, but I pray that. And it makes you think. It makes you think about potential, brother. Uh, could be that a potential brother is going through their day. 
Now, it could be that they are going uh, to their day of trial and destruction. One of the, uh, one of the most amazing, amazing events to ever happen in history is turning of Nineveh here in the uh, days of Jonah. The repentance of Nineveh. Who would have seen that come? I'm, I'm sure that when Jonah was walking through the streets saying in 40 days Nineveh is going to be destroyed, there was probably, I guess I don't know this, I wonder if there were some people that were saying, finally, Ninevites are going to get there. Same with Manasseh. We had a fantastic lesson about uh, Manasseh not too long ago when he was being drug, around, uh, drug away by hooks in his nose uh, to a prison in Babylon. I wonder if there wasn't somebody who, who said in their hearts, good, that child murder is going to get hit. But Nineveh and Manasseh, when they humbled turned themselves to God, were recipients of his mercy. And praise be to God for that. I mean, that is, uh, what an example. What an example. They were recipients of God's mercy. And there are people outside of these walls, the people that we do not expect it to be, who are going to be recipients of God's mercy. It may take forever for them to finally realize the gift that has been offered, but some that we would never expect are going to. So I have to ask myself the question, what am I doing in my heart? Am I boasting over my brother in the day of their distress? So, why, why do you think Edom did? Why do you think they, they celebrated this way? They, um, that they did this to their, to their brother. There was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of bad blood between two nations. Don't forget that Joab killed almost all of the males of Edom. They had been clashing, they had been fighting. But I wonder, as I read uh, the passages that we just did, uh, I wonder if there's if pride, pride doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. You know, pride is not always starter of conflict. Can be, not always. Uh, I would say that a great majority of the time, pride is the reason why it, that keeps conflict. Not only pride that led, led the conflict, conflict from ending, but pride, uh, as I read back in, in verse 3, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. you who live in the clefts of the rock, the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Uh, the Edomites were cliff dwellers, lived in, in the mountains. Um, their position, they, they placed their trust in their position and in their the arrogance of their heart made them think that there was going to be no repercussions for the things that they were doing. But the things that Edom placed their trust in was going to be their downfall. The Lord said, Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there, from there, I will bring you. Another thing to notice is that in verse 3 it says, Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Some of the things that we're, most of the things that we're talking about isn't just 
uh, things that you say out loud, things that you do in public. It is some of that, but God is the reader of the heart. He knows your intention. He knows my intention. That's a, that's a scary thought. God knows our heart. And pride always will be and always has been one of the biggest corruptors of the heart. Pride is consuming. It can take over in places that you don't expect. Uh, we can be boastful about anything. I'd, I know pride very well. He and I have been, been enemies for a long time. Pride. Such a consuming thing. So concerned about, about everything. Placing our, our trust in all of the things that we can do. All the things of this earth, but not building our nest. God. I don't always build my nest. God. Sometimes I get so concerned about how I sound, how I appear. Um, I realize that I am building my nest so high in the stars that my collapse is going to break. And I don't want that. I really don't. So I'm going to ask myself now, and I'm going to ask you too as well, who, who are we building? Our nest? Where are we building? let you on a little secret. There are a lot of, a lot of things in this world. Well, there's a few things in this world that I'm good at. A lot of things in this world that I'm bad at. But there are some things. But if anything, if I do anything that is worthy of any sort of praise, if I do anything worth doing, my life, if it is anything, is only that way because of my Lord, my Messiah, I. Anything other is Josh. It's old Josh. Uh, and you know, I want to be Christ. I really do. I want to leave that old. I want us all to. So, talked about a few, uh, just a few thoughts that I had while reading. Um, but kind of the main point that I get when reading the book is culminated in uh, the verses 15 through 21. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head, because just as you drank... On my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. And those of the Negev will, will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shepheloth, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And the exiles of this host, the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in the Shepherd, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion, 
to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom be the Lord. The message that I concluded with reading this, reading through this book, is the message that has been the same forever. There's a day coming. Just, just like for the nations back then, the same is today. There's a day coming where, where wickedness, where things like pride, where things like boastfulness, things that deserve punishment will be punished. There's a day coming for that. Verse 15, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. We flip over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death of the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Same message back then. Same message that we have today. There's a day coming. Judgment on the nations. Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 51, verse 22, talks about a chalice of anger. Chalice, a chalice of the wrath of God. That up until this point, Jerusalem had, and, and God is going to hand it to the nation. And I believe that's the same chalice that's talked about in verse 16, where he says, All the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. A lot of ways, in reading this, they're not true. It, these nations that we read about in, in the Bible, the nations that ruled the known world at the time, they're, they're really just shadows of the past at this point. We do know of their existence, but it's, it's even hard at times to think of these as real people, but they were. But, but, here's the smile. But on Mount Zion, on Mount Zion, there will be those escape. And it will be holy. There will be a remnant. Those who, in this proclamation of total destruction, live. The, the book of, of Obadiah is a very sober, very scary book, depending on what mountain you're standing on. If you're standing on the mountain of Esau, yeah. Uh, I can say about that, yeah. But if you're standing on the Mount Zion, God's Mount, holy, well, the, the nations, and there are very strong nations, very strong nations, very strong people. While the nations 
become as if they don't exist, those on the holy mount will be forever. Their holy God. So the question is, how do we approach them? How do we get on that mountain? How does one become holy? The, the revealed answer. Greatest person, greatest anything to happen to this earth is the answer. Today as it was forever. Jesus. Jesus, our holy Lord. And if you will, turn to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 3. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance, which is uh, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God, your faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. In the last, you are baptized, living a repentant life. How blessed, how blessed are you? How amazing is it to read, read something like this and realize that, that that wrath doesn't have to, I, I don't have to drink that cup. I could definitely do, do a lot to mess it up. I could definitely uh, hop off Mount Zion if I wanted to. But Jesus, our Lord God, has offered us salvation. And if you haven't been baptized, he'd offer you to do that. Very much. Lead with you. Sure would love to have you stand on the mountain. The, the last verse, Obadiah. Most beautiful verse in the book, and the one that I'd really love to leave on. It's so beautiful. And the kingdom will be forever, ever, the Lord. He will, please stand and say.